0: Hi, I'm Mackenzie Fagan and this is 112BK. Coming up, Basquiat first found fame as half of the graffiti duo Samo. The other half was Al Diaz.
1: Jean-Michel, after it became this thing where there was people who were kind of fascinated about the whole Samo thing as a as an entity, used it as his springboard for his career.
0: when your collaborator achieves fame far beyond your own. Just ask Lee Krasner, Jackson Pollock's wife and an artist in her own right, Baird Rustin, MLK's so-called right-hand man, or that guy from NSYNC with the white boy cornrows. (laughs) In the late 70s, two teenage graffiti writers started tagging walls in Soho and the East Village with Samo, a shorthand for same old shit. One of those artists was Al Diaz, and the other was Jean-Michel Basquiat. Diaz joins us today to talk about his ongoing contributions to New York's street art scene and the upcoming symposium on art, murals, and hip-hop called Destination bed at Brooklyn Commons. Al Diaz, welcome to 112BK.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So I feel like um, for my generation, graffiti art is something that we've just grown up around. It's kind of accepted. It's not all that radical. But tell me, in the 70s in New York, what was writing graffiti all about?
1: Well, I come from the first generation of graffiti artists, and I started at a very young age. And the reason that I was attracted to graffiti was because I thought that the guys who were doing it, who I was introduced to up in Washington Heights, were very cool. They had a certain edge. That it was a kind of a secret organization, and I, I was attracted to that. What I were they like? Why did
0: you think they, they were? They just cool?
1: had a certain a flair, a, a certain edge, a certain way of dressing, a certain you know way of talking. It just. A very cool Latin from Manhattan kind of style. And I came from the Lower East Side, and it was a little more ghetto there. And it just just seemed a little more refined, and I was attracted to that, and I wanted to do that. And it was an odd thing to be writing your name and a a nickname and a, a number. It was something I had never seen before, and I was totally fascinated by that. And I wanted to be like those guys, and that was purely why I was attracted to it.
0: And did you have a name?
1: I came to graffiti with a nickname that a friend of mine had given to me because I I had a tendency to kind of blow up and panic sometimes, like during whatever, games and stuff. And he called me Bomb. So I just added the one to it, and it was Bomb One. I came equipped with a a nickname.
0: You had a good name, which is the first indicator of success, perhaps.
1: Right, and it stuck. So I I, I immersed myself in in graffiti. I I was kind of one of the, the few the four guys maybe who imported graffiti from various parts of town to the Lower East Side. I was one of the first four, as a result, very visible in the Lower East Side during the early 70s. And I uh, just continued and I, probably by, the, by 1975, I was pretty well known around town. I mean, using the subway as our internet, if you will, it's, that's how you spread your, your, your graffiti back then. It, it became kind of who I was, so. By the, in late '76, I transferred from High School of Art and Design to City as a School, which is where I met Jean Michel, who, by the way, was never a participant of graffiti culture. We had a rank and file system. We were you, you were a participant and or you weren't. We had a way of talking, a way of dressing. He wasn't part of that experience, but because I was, I, I thought he was a really smart guy, and I, I liked him, and I wanted to be his friend. And, eventually we would come up with with this same old thing which started out as a use of the of the expression same old same old which is short for same old shit same old thing but it by the time we, we beca- it became a graffiti concept it wasn't it definitely didn't mean that any any longer and that's A mis misinformation that's been perpetuated—it doesn't mean anything. Samo was was, by the time it became our conceptual graffiti. Jean had written a a brilliant short story or or for our school newspaper about a fake uh, place that sold religions, and it was a fake religion called Samo. And we just used that word because it was available. It could have been. Bozo it could have been anything so it d- didn't mean any it's not an a- uh, acronym for anything It doesn't mean anything other than it was the name of this religion
0: right it became bigger it be- than the origin. So
1: as as a result of it being now it was something it was it was it wasn't just a, you know same old same old It's a religion now so using the the format of, of uh, like pray or Jesus saves I, and me being a graffiti artist, I thought it was a great idea. Why don't we spread this around and have people think it's like some new cult, you know?
0: Right. People and see the name everywhere. Yeah, and we'll spread it around. Yeah.
1: And that's how it started. And we just and and of course, I used the, 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 the template of Flint. He wrote in print letters, very straight print and ended it with an ellipsis. So as if as if, you know, like something is coming. So it became Semo. Uh, with the ellipsis and the copyright. So it was kind of this forewarning or or this ominous thing that was coming, you know, and and our first graffitis were something like, Samo is coming, Samo as an alternative to God, these kind of provocative then later, it became a vehicle for us expressing our, our attitudes on conformity, consumerism, and
0: well, one of my favorites from that time period is Samo as an alternative to God, Star Trek, and Red Die Number Two.
1: Right. Yes. 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 You remember that. Okay. Very cryptic. You-
0: so, uh, you said that you met Jean at City of School, and. Yeah he was an outsider he wasn't part of the graffiti community he was
1: he well he he wasn't part of, of that experience yeah it was I mean not everybody was a graffiti writer right I instigated the idea of let's write this stuff around you know and he was he was game for it because he was look because Jean was kind of a shelter a little bit sheltered in it, to some degree he was he came from a, a middle-class family he was not you know a ghetto kid or a, of any kind and he didn't participate in that and and this was like a chance for him to to, to to be involved with that you know
0: but he didn't come from the same type of graffiti writing background well like he
1: didn't come background. from any graffiti ba- writing mm-hmm. background mm-hmm. there was there was no he wasn't a graffiti writer something that's been that's been misunderstood over time is that you know he, he he although he wrote some graffiti like with the same old thing he became a graffiti artist but he was that he wasn't he didn't identify as a graffiti artist people from from my ilk, where we identified it, we dressed like graffiti writers, you know, like all our, all our clothes were spattered with ink and paint. And it was, you know, there was a, a you had to, you had to go through certain things before you can call yourself a graffiti artist. You right,
0: know? right. So... Tell me what the process of writing a samo tag would be. Would you like ahead of time would you guys workshop like
1: it, uh, it gradually became that where we would actually plan them out and think about them and edit each other and you know like oh that's corny or that you know just check each other on on the stuff and make sure that we were both in in tune with it that we both agreed on on what was being said.
0: And then how would you choose where you attack?
1: Um I mean, it's it's usually a question of opportunity, you know. Where, or sometimes, sometimes it was uh, site appropriate. We'd go and do it on purpose. Let's go right in front of the 420 building, or let's go right here, or, or you know. So it, it 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 was there was never any one one specific, you know, method. It was it it, it changed all the time. It was always. Wherever we can get away with it, and, and 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 every now and then. I mean, one time I remember Leo Castelli caught us writing in his hallway, in the entrance of the gallery at the 420 building. But we went up there specifically. Let's write on Leo Castelli's gallery, you know.
0: And would one of you do the writing, or both of you? Would you it? It would
1: depend. No, one would one would do the writing. The other would look out, you know. So yeah. and it, it was it, it was either or. Or sometimes he'd be on his own and he'd write it, and I'd be on my own and I, I'd write the stuff but it was generally agreed upon what we were writing we didn't get off off task you know mm-hmm. it was it was very specific what we were Talking about
0: your identities remained anonymous until 1978.
1: 79. 79. No, no, 78. Okay. You're right. You're right. 78. It was. It was December of 78 that, that the uh, article came out.
0: And you tell know. me about that article and why you guys decided to. Well,
1: I, we didn't decide. It was kind of uh, Jean went ahead and and decided. And we had a, actually I was talking to a friend of mine whose whose younger sister. I was. I think I was piercing her ears. And she remembers me and Jean, like arguing about whether or not he, he, why I didn't want to go to the press while I'm piercing her ear. So she she really remembers that. The
0: very specific the, memory that you yeah, because because yeah, I was yeah. like putting
1: a needle <laughs> be, with an ice cube in in her in her uh, earlobe.
0: And why didn't you want to go to because the press? Because I,
1: because I thought it was kind of uh, against the whole idea. I, I, it, for me, it was just like. Eh, that's kind of like we're selling out. I mean, mm. this is the this is a nineteen year old talking, right? But Ed, Jean was very career oriented and very he was looking for that attention. And in that respect, we had two different very very different philosophies about the things. So Jean Michel, after that, after after it became this thing where there was you know people were, were kind of. You know, fascinated about the whole um, Samo thing as a as an entity, used it as his as a a, a springboard for his career. Mm-hmm. Identified himself as Samo, which was kind of against the idea because Samo was never intended to be a personality. It, w- it was a product, an ever morphing product that was an alternative to this, an end to that. It, w- it could be anything. It, but it was not a person, mm-hmm. and he he became the face for Samo. And that around that time, our, our friendship there was some 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 changes in in, <laughs> in our friendship. It went through some strains there. But towards the end of his career, you know, he wants to dismiss Samo once it's been, it was used. You know, he he's like, oh, that's that's from when we were kids. That's it's a little embarrassing to talk about now. So once it served his purpose, it was no longer viable to him. Or what do you or think?
0: Do you think that it's embarrassing?
1: No, not at all. I think it was. I thought we were pretty clever for a seventeen and a nineteen-year-old. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought it, and it also it, it developed over the years. You know, I, I started doing some some same old related stuff later in, in life, that was. At this point, I became more articulate about it, and, and I, it kind—you know—it it, it took a lifetime to figure out what it was that we were doing, and it was—it was, it was a, a not only an experiment in hype, but it was this vehicle for, for us to express all sorts of of frustration, I guess it was, and and awareness of of, of what was going on around us, you know.
0: Do you think that Samo is larger than you, larger than John it, Well, Shabas of course
1: yet? it is, because it's a collaboration. And it, I couldn't have done it by myself, because it's a collaboration. Mm-hmm. It, 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 in and of itself, it takes two people. It's a conversation, and you can't do that by yourself.
0: But you also mentioned that by his coming out and revealing his identity, that it sort of took away some of the well. The besides, it,
1: it. it, besides, yeah, I mean, I, our friendship had, had been strained by a number of things, but that— Probably was one of the more damaging mm-hmm. things. After that, I think even even though we we, we did some work together uh, later in, in the eight in eighty three and stuff, there was we were still strained and there was this lack of trust as a as a result of that, you because know? it was Jean was I mean I, I love the guy as still to you know as a friend and, and but he was very uh, he was he was a manipulator. He he was he was going to use that to his benefit. And it wasn't, you know, I mean, obviously, because he's he's pretty famous. <laughs> 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 um, but it was it was he at, at first. It was definitely this kind of like I'm Samo, I'm Samo, you know,
0: right, <laughs> like look right. at me,
1: look at me, kind of thing.
0: And why did you not when he started coming out and saying I'm Samo? Did you feel the need to correct the I didn't, or I or didn't, just...
1: because I wanted to be cool. Because huh. I'm like, you know what? I'm too big for that. Because mm-hmm. basically, that's what it was. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to chase it down. If you really need it that bad. Take it. Mm-hmm. That's how, it, that was definitely my, my, um, the way I saw it.
0: So at one point, Jean wrote, Samo is dead, to try and drop he, Yeah, he's the a, only
1: one that ever wrote that. Right. I never wrote that.
0: And you resurrected Samo um, in 2016? Yes, is I did. Is that right? Can you yeah. talk to me a little bit about why you did that?
1: It, it, it occurred to me that. That we were still, you know, with all technology and with all the, the access to information, we were even more. This, as a generation, you know, or as a as a nation, we we're just completely like we. It's like we had backslid, you know. It seemed like whatever progress, social progress, was made during the '60s and '70s, it was just for for you know for nothing because we end up with a guy like like Donald Trump as a president, and it's just like, it's like, wow. And at that time I was doing, and still am doing, uh, text-based work with with uh, Subway letters, with my Subway alphabet, which is 20 to now. I've, I've added uh, uh, enough uh, symbols and, and icons from the Subway lexicon, to To have twenty two characters from the, all the train letters, so and
0: you started with just the letters from wet paint.
1: From wet paint, so yes. Yeah, so, so what what happened with the with Samo was, I couldn't I couldn't express myself completely. I had to have access to a full al- alphabet, and it was all that. And then I I was getting a little frustrated with reading where the history of Samo had gone. I would hear things like. Uh, like, and and it's like it's the, the typical ten second soundbite you know source of of you know type of education that that this world seems to be running on. It's like you hear the the word Jean Michel Basquiat and then the word Semo and like and I, I need to ask like so what's your favorite Semo? So the, you're you're putting these two together, but what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Oh Jean Michel Bas- Basquiat Semo. That's a, a vapid statement. Mm-hmm. That doesn't say anything. First of all, you're leaving out half, half the other author, which is myself, and you don't. People didn't seem to know what that SAMO was. Mm-hmm. It was just this, like he, like what? what you think he just wrote sameo as a tag? It was time for me to to take ownership of it again, and uh, to give actual examples of what sameo was.
0: And so, what are some of the more recent SAMO tags that you've written? Give me an example.
1: SAMO, with or without your approval. SAMO as a, a flotation device for a drowning civilization. SAMO as a placebo for your existential malady.
0: So um, a, a lot of the short-form nature of this reminds me of tweets, which you mentioned as um, being part of our current illness. <laughs> what yeah. do you think it is about the the physicality of seeing... A sentence like this out in the wild um, that does something that, say, reading a tweet on your phone doesn't do.
1: It's who I am. It's more 3D. You know, it's like in your face. It's like actual. It's not it's not a uh, it's not a drawing of a drawing of a drawing, you know. Mm -hmm.
0: It confronts you in a different way. Right. Makes you pay attention. Right. Um, tell me a little bit about your involvement with Destination Bed You're going to be on a panel.
1: I'm. I'm going to be joining the panel, which will be. You know, we'll be talking about uh, murals, it, it, focusing on on Bed talking about murals, about uh, hip hop, about graffiti's influence on on all these subjects, and. And then I'm g- going to also have a, a, a some time to, to promote and, and do a book signing.
0: And that's going to be on the 23rd at Brooklyn Commons. I believe it starts at noon. Your panel starts at noon.
1: Uh, yeah, the, yeah, it's at t- the, 20, the 23rd, Saturday the 23rd, uh, 7 Marcus Garvey Boulevard, Brooklyn Commons. And it's from 12 to 4.
0: Great. Maybe I'll close out by asking what you think about contemporary street art and graffiti. Um, you were sort of there at the beginning. We've come a long way. What do you think about? Where I are? think
1: a lot of things. I think there's some really great stuff, and then there's some stuff that's kind of it's benign. It's just pretty pictures. I, I get excited about the stuff that's more socially that has more social content. It's, it's like anything. It's mixed, and then. You know, there's always like people jumping on the bandwagon that want to get involved and in that. They really, you know, their contribution is, is, you know, it's just more pictures, but so, so you end up with a lot of mediocrity like anything, you know, but there's also some real, really ex- excellent artists that are doing wonderful stuff, you know, and saying great, really powerful things. What's curious about street art and graffiti, cause they are, you know, they, they're not always the same thing I mean, a swastika on a, on a temple is, is graffiti, and not, there's nothing creative or, or loving about that, right? But at the same time, it it's this kind of like quasi-socially accepted thing, and then at the same time, it's not. I mean, I have, I have to go respond to a warrant next uh, Wednesday because of, you know, with the New York vandal squad. So. I imagine it's but not the
0: first warrant you've encountered well not well f-
1: Well, for graffiti yeah
0: oh uh, really yeah this is your first in your whole career well first no
1: i've, I've been ar- i was I, I was arrested once for graffiti but they actually saw me doing it you know uh.
0: well <laughs> best of luck with this al diaz thank you so much for joining us today
1: thank you Mackenzie.
0: Still the land of opportunity. If you work hard, can you really get ahead? are the only people who can pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, men who inherited those bootstraps from a wealthy grandfather. NYC's rising cost of living, income stagnation, and student debt have converged to create a tale of two cities. And on Wednesday, Brick will be exploring that widening gap at our Be Heard Town Hall. To tell us more, we're joined by moderator extraordinaire Brian Vines, who was also just nominated for a New York Emmy. Congratulations. Oh, boy. (laughs) It's
2: all true. Vote for Pedro. I'll be looking for you guys at that show. But first hour show that's We're going right to earn it yeah so Wednesday February 27th if we'll you want to see
0: Emmy nominee Brian Bynes in the flesh you come can come down. out come on out that's right what are we going to be discussing and who are some of the people who are going to be talking about yeah. the widening Inequality.
2: So, number one, we're going to be discussing that economic inequality in New York City with a special prejudice toward Brooklyn, of course. Obviously. And the most important people who you're going to hear talking are everyday Brooklynites. The series is called the Be Her Town Hall. This is, I believe, our 10th time assembling the folks in Brooklyn. And we really do center the voices of everyday Brooklynites. We get them in the room with some people who we think are pretty smart that are going to have their butts in the seats. But it really is the people of Brooklyn who make the thing sing. And they're always unfiltered. Sometimes it's contentious. There's tension in the room. There's joy and tears. It got
0: a little rowdy last time, right? It absolutely
2: did because we keep it real. It was really we were speaking to where people live. And this is an issue that does exactly that. But sometimes people are more reserved about the money they make. The debt they're in and all of those different things that swirl around what President Obama called the issue of our time. So we're just really trying to get at what it really means and how income inequality and economic inequality manifest themselves here in Brooklyn.
0: And I know that you're a moderator, not so much an interviewer Mm -hmm. at the Be Town Halls, but what are some of the questions that you're going to have for our guests.
2: You know, we are keeping this Brooklyn specific and, as I said, centering the voices of Brooklynites. And what we found just in our explorations of this and getting ready is that so much of economic reporting has sort of morphed into market reports. So it's less about people and the way people relate to the economy and how the economy serves or does them a disservice in a lot of instances. And we traded real reporting and news for stock tickers. So we're getting at economic inequality through the lens of gendered poverty, through the lens of what it means to be a person of color in a system that's sort of built on the sweat of your slave labor, but doesn't have anything for you on the other end and how this sort of manifests itself for generations. So we have assembled some phenomenal people to talk all along that spectrum from the 1% to the 99 and a group that often gets sort of lost and stuck in the middle, folks with student debt who are aspiring to middle class and upper middle class lives. To that end, Natalia Abrams from the student debt crisis is going to be in the house. We have a deputy mayor coming, the former president of the SEIU Union is going to be here, and uh, Helene Olin, who's a Brooklynite and also a Washington Post columnist who writes about personal finance and gets very Brooklyn, is going to be in the house. So we just want Brooklyn to come down and be heard.
0: I think one of the challenges with this topic is, mm. you know, you're using words like personal finance, and like income inequality, totally. economics, and I'm already yeah. kind of asleep. But these are actually about issues that hit people yeah the hardest. It's about, it's about everything. It's about, you know, how you can, uh, you know, educate your kids, put food on the table, um, you know, see a better life for your children and your grandchildren. How do we make this like sexier or how do we, how do we get butts in the seats for this Be Heard Town Hall meeting?
2: I personally am always looking for my point of entry because if I'm not interested as the guy who has to sort of keep the train on the track a little, I don't expect anybody to give us their time. And the number one thing we don't want to do is waste someone's time. And it really is looking at these themes. The last time we all met, we talked about NYCHA. How do you tell the story about NYCHA without getting at economic inequality? Before that, we did segregation in schools. We've done uh, the drug war. Like every single topic that we touch that gets people heated has a kernel that really blossoms into this economic inequality question. And if we can get people to sort of Feel that and see their point of entry personally, whether it's student debt, the gentrification they're facing, the drug treatment that they're not getting, healthcare, any number of things. There's an economic center to it. So if there was any question or you're wondering why you should come down, there absolutely will be some point of entry for you.
0: Right, all roads lead back to... Yeah,
2: it ain't gonna be Econ 101, I'll say that. Like, It's gonna be a lively discussion, and we really need uh, the voices of the people of Brooklyn to make sure it looks and sounds like us and addresses our concerns. We've got lots of folks coming in who are smart and ready and open to engage.
0: Um, you have made a compelling case for okay. why people should come on out. So give us the details.
2: So the widening gap, economic inequality in New York City, a Be Her Town Hall, is going to be right here in this building at 647 Fulton Street on Wednesday, February 27th. It's 90 minutes. Come by for 630. We get the live show started at 7. We'll have you back out into the world smarter than you came in at 830. I promise.
0: Great. People should come. It's an opportunity for. Your voice to be heard absolutely and to hear from some really smart people as well Yeah, they're not so dumb all right well brian thank you so much for Thanks telling for us about it. the upcoming town hall
2: thank you Mackenzie.
0: and that is the show for today join us next time for a chat with some of brooklyn's enterprising brewers yes beer week is upon the borough once again <laughs> one 2 bk is hosted by me, Mackenzie Fagan. It is series produced by Ross Tuttle, also produced by Fred Brown, Shereen Bargi, Isabel Alcantara, Naeem Van, and Emily Bogosian. It is recorded in studio by Clinton Filson Jr., Eric Hogesegg, and Antonio M. Rosario. It is post-produced by Alexander Solo, edited by Mira Al-Rahim, and executive produced by Jonathan Leaf Sasha Mathias, and Aziz Aisham.